Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Lead to Succeed podcast and we have an amazing guest today. His name is Jason Mark Campbell and he helps self-employed and SME business owners who struggle with sales and he takes them from having a fear of sales to a love of sales. Now, I love sales myself, so I think we're going to get into some of this and understand some of Jason's techniques to help you move from fear to love of sales. Uh, But first, Mark, uh, Jason, a very big welcome to you and please do an introduction. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rebecca, and for everybody here. Um, as mentioned, you know, I, I work with, you know, helping people get over their hate from sales. Sales just gets such a bad rap. Oh, and does. when you when you overcome these negative biases we have in sales, we recognize that it's one of the most beautiful and powerful tools to bring upon the solutions that we want to see solved in the world, the abundance we want for ourselves, and the success for any company. It starts with sales. And if we have those negative associations with it, uh, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're actually holding back the impact that you truly want to make within your business and within the organization that you're you're involved with. And that's going to translate not just from being a salesperson yourself, but what about you know finding your dream career? What about recruiting amazing talent within your company? What about bringing that coercion, uh, not coercion, but cooperation when it comes to having your team work well together? There's a sort of leadership that comes with sales and that communication ability. And all of it is to bring people to be aligned with this vision and the impact that you want to make. So this is really what I'm trying to inspire people to do. It's such a great vision, um, Jason, because I think so many people, when you say salesperson, they have this rather unappealing image of somebody very pushy and almost pushy car salesperson image springs to mind. And it's so far removed from that. But that's generally the first kind of image people have when you say that. And I think that's where this kind of very tarnished impression of salespeople, maybe that's where it stems from. But as you say, it's not that at all. It's about adding value, isn't it, and helping others. Would you sum it up that way? Yeah, I, I, for me, the, the biggest thing around sales, I, I define it as this. Selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious beings. Now, I have a background in personal growth, so of course I've used some of the terms that I would find within this industry, but what I really emphasize within that definition is that when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, then the emotion of love is what makes the equation work. And yeah, every time I go on stage, every time I'm on a show and there's a live audience and I ask people to think, what is the first idea that comes to mind when I think of a salesperson? And you're right, the used car salesman image (laughs) comes up in everyone's mind. Why is that? Well, you know, buying our first car was probably a biggest emotional experience when we first, you know, got our license. It was a ticket to freedom. And if you're not buying a brand new car, you have to go within a car that might be at a lower price point. And, you know, think about it. If you're early in your sales career, or maybe you haven't been in your best in your sales career, the used car career is not necessarily the one that you're, you're the cream of the crop when it comes to sales. Like 
if you're doing really well as a salesperson for cars, you might be working at a Mercedes dealership or, you know, a, a Jaguar dealership, if I can use a, a English example, but in a sense, your top salespeople usually graduate into better types of sales positions. So yeah, you know, the, the people that are on that used car lot, they're doing their best. They're learning. They might not be in a position where they can be so abundantly thinking. So I do want to sympathize. I do want to empathize. I do want to make sure that we're not throwing them under the bus, but yeah, we have that negative impression, but that's not the reality of sales. And if we think about it, we look at everything around us, whether it's, you know, the computer you're using or your mobile device you're using to listen or watch this, uh, all of that was the product of a sale from a company that gave you a solution or a product that's making your life better in some way. And so we love buying, but we don't like the sales. So there's some things that we need to see change. And I'm hoping with the message that I bring, I can get more of these ethical businesses that truly are focused on impact to embrace sales so they can outshine the competition. Because in my case, I've seen what really terrible, manipulative, scammy mm. salespeople can do. I've been someone who's went through that experience myself. Yeah. And that's why I want to empower the right people to sell the right products the right way. Yeah. Um, I think probably the majority of us will have experienced that unsavory um, sales experience. And I think you're so right. It's helping to change that completely and make it a very professional and profound and powerful exchange, which really is what it is. Let's talk about leadership, Jason. I'd love to get your perspective on what great leadership means to you. What does that look like? Yeah. So leadership is such a fun topic. And, you know, I've had a chance to host a podcast for over two years, which means I actually brought some of the best sales and leadership trainers uh, around the world that have written amazing books. And uh, by doing so, I've got exposed to a lot of this new age of leadership that's really emerging in literature right now. And I think this is a great thing. It's something that was not even being recognized before, but kind of happened subtly. And so there's a lot of that old guard that exists about, you know, the command and conquer autocratic leadership style, uh, which often will use the memes from the internet, calling it the boss. Uh, and it's just like, you have this angry person that's just whipping people to get the job done or else. And we've noticed that that works. If you're in a labor industry where what is required is for you to move faster, more, more work harder, longer, and then you can really, you know, get away with working this way. But a lot of what's been happening is most of us have tried, have actually transferred to being part of what we call the knowledge economy. And so it's our expertise, our, our experience, our creativity, um, being able to solve complex problems. The world's gotten more complicated and it's not about punching more numbers within a spreadsheet, but it's about being able to bring ideas to the table that make that spreadsheet irrelevant and being more effective. So we've noticed that these leadership styles that are being preached right now, which is all about, you know, creating space for people to be in their best. Being the leader doesn't mean that you're the one that's getting all the praise for everybody's work. It's you being the person that's ensuring that everyone is feeling acknowledged. Everybody is feeling safe and psychologically safe to be able to contribute to big products and projects. And then from that perspective, you actually become more of a coach than a boss. And you're trying to remove obstacles for everybody to make sure that they can perform at their best and that they want to perform at their best. And they're aligned with the mission and the impact. And you're there as the cheerleader, the coach, the leader. And I think this is really the trend that we're seeing now. And the companies that are doing it successfully are not feeling the sting of the great resignation as much as the companies who have not adapted and the employees now have decided enough is enough. There must be better ways. And the companies are feeling that pinch. 
Well, I, the great resignation is a real challenge for many businesses in the UK. I mean, you're based in, in, in Bali, but in the UK, we are struggling to get to get great talent there is a shortage of great talent and the talent will go to those companies where they can resonate with where they feel included and part of the team but you mentioned psychological safety there Jason could we take a dive into what your understanding is of creating psychological safety and do you think that's an essential skill for companies to, or an essential kind of being that companies need to have in 2022. So what does it mean to you? What does psychological safety mean to you? Yeah, I had an amazing guest that I had a chance to interview who wrote a book on this topic, which is fantastic. His name is Timothy Clark. Um, His book was about the four levels of psychological safety for anybody in a leadership position that's running teams. This would be a book I would highly encourage. What I've noticed psychological safety is that it applies to so much more than just running teams. It even applies to sales. And where I see psychological safety is this element of trust that needs to be there for people to open up, to contribute, to say yes. You know, in the, in the field of sales, if there's no psychological safety, if you see that slicked, you know, cheap suit, slick back hair, like crooked smile, person making you promises of the world, you're like, hold on, I, this doesn't feel safe. You wouldn't even want to engage, right? And I think when you're in a leadership position, if you're trying to like coerce people into doing what was going to make you look good, they don't feel like they can contribute ideas. They feel like any feedback you give will hurt someone's ego. People shut down. And people shutting down is a big problem for organizations because you're not getting any more of that feedback loop. And so psychological safety, the way that I see it is that as a leader, you've made it a safe space for people to participate into whatever it is that you're creating, the product that you're deploying, the, uh, the processes that need to be executed. People feel safe enough to have a place to voice any concern issues that come up. You know, there's, there's these industries that disappear overnight because they haven't adapted to change. And what I've noticed with a lot of these organizations, I'm talking about, you know, the blockbusters uh, or... Um, I forget there's these American companies that just haven't adapted to, let's say, the internet. And it's not like nobody in that organization had any idea that the internet was coming and the ways of the business model were becoming obsolete. But there was not a lot of people that were listening. And even if they were listening, not a lot of people were talking because they didn't feel safe about talking because they could feel, oh, my, you know, my work is going to be, my job is going to be in jeopardy. And I've seen this so many times in organizations when you see that you have a a boss, you know, we'll use that label to kind of differentiate it. You have a boss that like, if you're someone to point out a flaw and like you're setting priorities and a goal, can you be the one to say, I feel like this goal is unrealistic? Will you be encouraged to share more? Or will you be told that you're, you're, how can you, how can you be so negative? We just want positive thinkers here. Those would be examples of where that safety wouldn't exist. Cause if you see one employee getting shut down for opening their mouth, you're never going to be sharing what you're thinking. And now the operation, the company is running blind. And so if you want to be adaptable and you want to be flexible and knowing that the times are changing so much faster than ever, those are qualities that are needed to continue to innovate. Psychological safety is a must. And I think the first step that needs to be done is by the leader. The leader needs to lay the foundation that it is a safe place. And that requires some work on the leader. So if you are going to be a leader, the first thing you need to do is work on your self-leadership so that you can be someone worthy of the trust of your team. Because well-functioning teams have that in place. 
And so as much as there's a shortage of talent, if you're in that position and you're like, I can't find the best talent, well, maybe the best talent isn't finding you because you're not the best leader. And so I think there's some learning to do and some self-responsibility to take. Um, I agree that there's a huge amount of self-responsibility. We hold the mirror up to ourselves and to see, are we the sort of leader that we would like to be leading us? And our response to that question will really dictate what we need to change. It's just a simple question to ask ourselves. And what I would add to that is I'm not coming here to preach as someone who's figured it out. I'm not always the best leader. I've had so many moments within our, the organization. I was working at Mind Valley where we attract some of the brightest minds. And whenever I've had a team member, especially in the beginning of the times I was there, I wasn't investing in them. I, I was that person that wanted to put his hands in everything and thought they could do it better than everyone else. So I was a micromanager. I didn't even trust my team to be able to pick up the tasks that were supposed to be delegated to them. And so I thought I was helping them out by just being, oh, I don't need to do it. I'll just do it because I can do it quick. And so there was a lot of patience that needed to be developed on my side, a lot of leadership skills that needed to be developed, and I'm still developing them. And there's a lot that I know, there's still a lot I need to apply. I think that's a, a definition for me of leadership is that continuous willing to learn, accept that we don't get things right and always be asking for feedback. And one of the questions I'd like to ask you around creating psychological safety is, if you're in a leadership position, how do you think you can create that environment where it's fine to be challenged and you encourage people to challenge you? What, what do you think you need to do, practical steps as a leader, to create that environment? Yeah. I think there's going to be a first step that needs to be done by the leader. And of course, this includes the term vulnerability. I think there's a space that you need to be able to create where you can show and speak about the fact that you don't know all the answers. I think that's a big shift for most people who think that because you're in a leadership position, you're supposed to have all the answers. And if you're trying to play that facade, because let's be honest, nobody knows what the hell's going on. The world is changing so fast. We're all just trying our best. But if you've been doubling down on trying to make your team think and feel, and you, you have a sense that your responsibility is to make them think that you know all the answers, I think that's already shut down the possibility for more psychological safety and opening up to happen. So I would lead, like if you're having a team meeting, you know, and you've just listened to this episode, maybe this is a place to test it. Maybe it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis because this is a little edgy for you, but with one trusted employee, just being like, hey, let's have a meeting and have a lunch and just tell them, you know, I'm really doing my best, but there's a lot of things I'm not sure on, even on the goals that we set, you know, I'm doing my best, but sometimes I'm trying to figure out if this is really the right way. What do you think? And just open, let them talk. And then whenever they give feedback, acknowledge them for sharing the feedback. And this is where the way you praise affects behavior in such a powerful way. So even if you are in a meeting and somebody does decide to speak up and let's say they speak up and what they've provided is not something you're going to actually apply. And maybe their comment didn't even make too much sense. How did you acknowledge that person for speaking up? And so there's little changes in behaviors that you can make that will indicate to people that, oh, it's safe to do this. And so if someone contributes an idea, maybe you say, hey, can we just take a moment and acknowledge that at least they had the courage to speak up? And the more you do this, the more I appreciate it. So now everybody gets the indication that, oh, this reward is happening because of this behavior. Maybe we need to do it more. 
And you'll be surprised. Some of the ideas that are going to come are going to impress you. And just because not all 100% of ideas are great means that you're eliminating 100% of them if you're not even letting people a chance to share them. So open it up and you might be surprised. I really like that idea of having a one-to-one and helping the person feel really included in the goals because you're listening to them. And I also like the idea of just that simple acknowledgement and saying, I really appreciate that. Let's have more of it or words to that effect. I think they're very practical tips that anybody could implement tomorrow in their business. Very simple. And often it's the simplest things that, that work really well. Keeping on the theme of uh, psychological safety, Jason, what's your view on failure, allowing failure? Are you comfortable with that in teams? Yeah. When it comes to failure, I think that you have to really be able to dissect the source of the failure and seeing if there was really, you know, a lack of competence. And what you're going to realize is most of the failures that happen is a multitude of factors. And I think whenever you're recognizing this failure, you don't want to necessarily encourage people to actively try to fail. Like if the failure happens because of negligence and you've noticed that there were some things that weren't followed up on, well, more than likely, there's a role that you've played as the leader to not pull and ask questions and get involved in the conversation. And so there's going to be some questions you want to take. But if your team produces a failure, that's your responsibility as a leader. And so when you have these debriefs around a failure, Acknowledge that it's not the end of the world, okay? It happens. You can do a debrief. You can actually make sure you learn from it, but also recognizing that, hey, if this is a failure because you tried something that had an element of risk, acknowledge that you did take that chance with a known risk because the potential upside could have been there. And if it just so happened that this one was not successful, don't discourage anybody else from wanting to try and I think if you actually allow some of these micro ideas to be able to flourish, get a chance to try itself, you're actually going to say, hey, we know you're not getting 100% success rate, but we're going to probably get some innovations along the way. And so celebrate those little wins that have come from that failure as well. And I think you're going to encourage a lot more people that are going to want to take chances and recognize that it's safe to do so. I guess in so doing, we'll get that those ideas will come to the surface more readily and we'll be more, the leaders will be more willing to give them a go and, and look at how much risk there is attached and that it's not significant. Well, let's go to go. We never know where, what might result from it. So encouraging that kind of innovation through, it might fail, but it doesn't matter. And there's a byproduct too. You know, once you've given a chance for somebody to work on a project that they felt was so important and you've guided them into being able to take it to a place and it ended up as a failure, well, they've refined their skills you might have learned things not to do from that failure. And now you have an employee that has that psychological safety, that yeah. feels more safe, more engaged to work on the core processes that you know need to be done because you decided to give them a chance, let them be heard, let them try, and didn't punish the failure. Yeah. Well, Jason, what else do you think? Um, we talked about psychological safety, but what else do you think is an essential skill for leaders to develop or people who are stepping into leadership what do you think are the essential skills to develop moving into a new era of leadership as, as we talked about at the beginning? Yeah, well, I have a, I have a bias. Um, I am somebody who usually speaks on the topics of sales. And I think sales is such an important skills for leaders. I think every interaction you have, whether it's in a one-on-one, -on -one, a feedback session, if you're running a meeting, if you're laying out the you know, quarterly goals or annual goals, all of it 
is a sales process. The sale of an idea is also a sale and getting people to be onboarded into supporting that idea is a sale. Now, what's interesting in this new age is that sales is not just you getting on a stage and shouting out a new vision and telling everybody, let's do this. That's actually a bit more of the old school. What is the more powerful, and it's part of my sales, my loves of selling is actually one of the loves is love the buyer. And in this case, it's love your employees, love your team, because the best way you can show love is to understand them. And so how can you actually be a better leader? Listen to the team. How can you get feedback from them saying, what are things that we could do better? Where are opportunities that you've identified? What are goals that you feel that we could do? And just the process of listening is going to increase that engagement. And you might be able to generate some perspectives you did not consider yourself from the perspective that you were seeing. And that should help you refine that vision. And then whenever you are presenting a vision, the goals that has generated some feedback from the team, they'll be more engaged within that vision. And now you're going to be presenting a proposal that everyone's going to be more likely to say yes to, and not yes reluctantly, but a strong yes with strong engagement, which will actually increase your probability of success. So learn salesmanship. And it comes not just from being a great communicator, it mostly comes from being a great listener. Where do you, where do you think emotional intelligence plays its role in sales, Jason? Well, if I'm speaking about, you know, one of the loves being loving the buyer and understanding them, I think this is where emotional intelligence plays such a big role is being able to understand other people requires a level of emotional management, emotional awareness. I mean, I've had several conversations with uh, Daniel Goldman who wrote the book on emotional intelligence, and this is it. It comes from your own self-mastery. And we're sometimes having a bit of our primitive urges out there, like work was done wrong, not exactly as you ask. It's so easy to blow up emotionally. But emotional intelligence is often thought about, oh yeah, how do I coerce people, manipulate people into understanding their emotion? No, most of emotional intelligence is on the self. And when you start to be aware of how you react in certain situations, you can manage those reactions so that you can consistently show up as a better leader. And if you can be more consistent the way you show up as a better leader, the more you can be empathetic, having that emotional intelligence, again, this supports the psychological safety. It increases you in your competence as a leader, and it makes your whole team have more trust, more cooperation, and more effectiveness in the process. How do you think it plays out when you're in a sales meeting you have your potential clients and you're hoping they're interested in your product or your service when you're in that situation how do you think using emotional intelligence how would you suggest using emotional intelligence to be really focused on the buyer and take it to the next stage so what steps would you recommend in that situation If you're aware of your own level of emotional intelligence, you'll realize that if we are in a sales meeting, especially for those who have reluctance in sales, our nervousness might make us want to speak faster, to not wait for moments of silence. And those are things that are actually going to sabotage your sale, right? Um, So again, I want to speak on the emotional intelligence front, which is about self-awareness and self-mastery of emotions. Because when you're in a sales meeting with a buyer, a lot of what you're actually doing is discovery. And that requires you to be listening, which means that you need to have your emotions in check so you can be functional, rational, paying attention, not having a ton of mental chatter, nervousness, 
All of that are things that you want to be able to self-manage. But you also want to be able to pick up on emotional cues from the buyer. What are things, oh, I mentioned this. I saw that they fidged what happened there. And trying to be able to investigate the things that you see. And, you know, I've brought uh, an interesting guest on my show, which was Vanessa Van Edwards, who speaks a lot about body language. And I think when it comes to your emotional intelligence, being able to interpret correctly the cues that come from people's body language becomes really important in the sales process. And of course, these are some of the more advanced technique, but if you're talking about emotional intelligence at, at, at a surface level and some of the essential things people could apply right away is understanding what emotions happen from you and how can you be more calm, present, and in a good space, no matter what objections come, no matter what questions come, no matter where you are in the sales process and asking for the money, asking for the close. There's a lot of people that get emotionally tripped up when it gets to that part of the sale. So how do you start investigating and understanding how you react in different parts of the process? I mean, that's such great sound advice and tips that we can all implement. And as you say, we are all in sales, whether that's, you know, selling an idea to the family, you know, it's, it's something we're doing all the time. We can even introduce the topic of relationships, you know, saying, uh, uh, how are you? I'm fine can have some different meanings. And I think being <laughs> yes. attentive to those cues can be a big shift in how the success of the relationship can be. And that happens in the workplace too. Yeah. I, I think you make such a valid point about closing down that chatter that's going on in your head when you're in a sales situation and really focusing in on the person that you are engaging with and really trying to understand them their needs, their challenges, their pain points, and just shining the spotlight on them because it, it's where you will see whether or not you can help them. And you might, might not be able to, and, and that's absolutely fine as well. But if you can help them, fantastic. But you'll, you'll be able to understand that by listening to them. I think that comes with a high level of leadership capabilities that when you realize that you cannot help someone, are you able to walk away because you're not coming from a place of neediness Yeah. and the impact you're making for the people is more important than your personal, you know, neediness. And so that requires courage, requires leadership. And of course requires a place of selling with love. It does. I think, especially when people are growing their business and they want to take their business to the next stage of growth and they, you know, I've done this, I've taken on a client and it never worked out. I shouldn't have taken the business on. It was hassle from day one. I knew it in my heart, but I didn't listen to my heart. I thought, you know, let's, let's grow the business. Let's be ambitious, but it never works out. What, what challenges have you faced in, in, in your business, in your career, that where you've had to dig deep and recognize that you were in a difficult situation? How have you come through that? Is there an example you could perhaps share with us because you know many of our listeners will be maybe facing challenges themselves and I know they always love to hear about how other people have dealt with them and come through them yeah you know what, what I think would be most powerful for your listeners is maybe the more recent example I would assume that some of your listeners might have transitioned from career to self-employed or starting mm -hmm. their own business mm -hmm. and I had to make this transition myself so I worked seven years for an incredible organization that was all about personal growth, had a great workplace culture. And what happened is a big part of my identity 
was associated with this company. And the idea of leaving this company thought that a piece of me would leave. Um, so I found myself maybe staying a little too long. Not, I, I had that self-awareness. So, you know, I started making the transition when I did have a firm belief of what was going on. But, um, you know, I had that, you know, I started losing a bit of engagement. And then when I finally went on my own, I started having some self-worth conflicts about like, who am I without being a part of this wonderful company? And, you know, what I've learned through that, because it was, I was a little slow on the productivity. Um, I wasn't as enthusiastic about pushing forward on my projects. And so I realized it was a time that I needed to do a bit more soul searching. And I had to be a bit patient. And I started to figure out what is important to me. What is it that I want to work on? What is the next chapter? And I'm actually quite grateful that I took the time and I was in a place that I could take that time to get more clear on how I wanted to show up for my next big project, my next big investment of time, energy, and um, resources, really, especially choosing a path of being self-employed comes with a lot of self-responsibility and you're putting yourself out there. So there's a lot more visibility on possible failures. And so for me, those were some interesting times. And I used it as a time to do a lot of self-reflection, get into personal growth a lot, develop myself, ask questions, hire mentors and coaches. And that has been, you know, the foundation that I could feel more powerful to show up the way that I show up now, working on bigger projects, working, taking on bigger clients and uh, doing it in a place that feels more authentic, more aligned to my values. And that makes me much more excited about the future. And so, yeah, some of that identity was left when I left that company and that's okay because it created the room to create a brand new identity, which I'm happy to see now. Well, it's fantastic to hear that you've made that transition, you've made that shift and things are working really well for you. I'd be interested to hear as we kind of begin to wrap up now, but I'd be interested to hear how long that thinking time took. So how much time out did you take to think? And what things did you do that may help others to help you get that character? You said you took on some mentors and coaches, but was there was there one particular thing that you said that was it that really helped me or was a number of things that helped you? And what were some of those? There are numerous things that I've done. So one of the big ones I'd highlight, first thing, ask, answering your question, it took me a good year. Mm -hmm. And mine, it wasn't me retreating myself into a cave and not doing anything, nothing like that. Still running the podcast, but I wasn't jumping into a new project enthusiastically aligned, clear goals. There's a bit of fluff, right? So I wasn't moving fast on that. And I was kind of, you know, stepping back, doing what was the necessary, the essential, and that was okay. And so what I've decided to do is I had a goal setting methodology, uh, which I call life book. And I, I had visions that I wanted in every area of my life. So I worked on refining that. And I was seeing how the decisions I'm making are actually bringing me closer to some things I had set as visions for the future. And I was like, okay, progress is being made, but it's not clear yet. And then it was at the beginning of 2021, I actually hired a coach um, and he actually helped me do what was called uh, past authoring and present authoring and future authoring. And this was just looking at, you know, the significant events that I've had in my past that have defined my character that I have today. You know, one of my core values, and that was also part of the exercises defining those was belonging. And I can think of times in my childhood where I always felt like I didn't belong. I always felt like I was, you know, the odd man out. And in a way of overcompensating that, I got very excited about opportunities of bringing people together. And so, ah, I'm starting to understand why I have certain behaviors. Why do I behave as a leader in a certain way versus another? 
And so we started to done dig all of these histories. And I think that's a very powerful process for us to be able to reconcile why we act the way we act. And so doing the past authoring, looking at those significant events, analyzing my current behaviors that I liked, didn't like, why am I doing them? And then looking at the ways that I wanted those behaviors to be in the future became a way of crafting exactly where I wanted to take my life and what, what risks did I want to take business models I wanted to implement that did support the lifestyle I wanted to design. And so I would say that would be most important process that I did. And I work with a specific individual, his name being Ezekiel, um, who really supported me on that journey. That sounds like a fascinating process to have gone through. Yeah. And so fantastic that it helped you get really clear about designing your future, which is how I like to call it. It's designing how you, the future that you want to step into or bring to you, whichever way around you might look at it. Mm -hmm. um, Jason, it's been wonderful to have you as our guest. I really appreciate the insights that you've shared with us. Really lovely, practical steps and talking very openly about, you know, your transition and what you've done along the way. We talked about psychological safety, which, as we both agree, is something that's so important to get the to make your business as successful as possible, to really engender that and have that in your company and make people feel really, really comfortable. Is there something you'd really like to share with our audience now, how they may be able to get in touch with you, something you might like to share so they can find out more about you, perhaps continue conversation with you? Yeah. Well, uh, my book just came out, which is The Selling with Love, How to Earn with Integrity and Expand Your Impact. And so for anybody who might be looking to increase sales and maybe get over these blocks you might have around selling, uh, this book is going to be perfect for you. Uh, this is really going to make you at least start liking sales and eventually loving that as you go through. Um, so you can always just go to sellingwithlove.com and you're not only going to find the book there, but you're also going to find my podcast where I bring in amazing people who speaks on the topic. Um, and of course, if you find me on LinkedIn, whenever you send a connection request, and this is a bit of tip on sales, I would encourage everybody to do first off, acknowledging that LinkedIn is a powerful platform. Uh, but second, if you send out a connection request, always add a note to explain where you identified the person. And so I would love to hear feedback, some of the ideas that you resonate with. And if you want more clarifications as well, connect with me on LinkedIn, which is uh, Jason Mark Campbell, and um, send me a connection request and make sure to add that note. Tell me you heard me right here on this podcast. So that at least I'll know where you're from and I'll be able to help you. Well, that's a great, um, a great tip because I agree with that, making it a personal introduction and saying why you would like to connect and the reasons behind it and I will make sure that your LinkedIn uh, details and the link to your book are in the show notes Jason so people can you know our listeners can look that up and find out exactly how to get in touch with you so thank you very much for giving us your time today and sharing your insights really appreciated Jason thank you thank you everybody for your time and thank you Rebecca for having me I hope this was helpful Thank you all to our listeners and look forward to seeing you on our next episode. On that note, have a great week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk rjen, website.